This episode, we're off to the islands of Hawaii to find out what happens when a pig tries to wrestle a volcano. And trust me, whatever you think might happen, most certainly does not. And for our fact, we're exploring two people that defied an entire ruling class to bring an ancient concept of love directly to the people of their kingdom. That's right, making you melt into a puddle on your seat here on the Colored Folklore Podcast. Episode 12, Oceanic Cultures, Hawaiian Bisexual Gods and Goddesses. Aloha, everyone. Now, see, I get to say that because it fits with the theme of the episode and my overtly cheery way to welcome you all aboard the podcast. So, I'm pretty much loving life right now. Helping us to revel in the joy and delightful complexity of the Hawaiian language is the instrumental Mr. Mischief that opens up and closes down each one of our episodes. Brought to you from those on the other side of the other pond, the London Collective All Good Folks. Teaching you the art of the eight-legged hula is our trickster logo, courtesy of our guy, Arthur, and delivering to you my favorite art piece of the podcast so far. That's right, you heard it here first, folks, is Jacqueline and her magnificent cover art creations. I am that voice that's hopefully giving you some pep in your step and some lore in your folk, Mr. Gri Omenma, helping you discover cultures and indigenous stories from all over the globe. Last episode saw us revisiting the Inuit peoples of the Arctic Circle for their lesbian spirits, Sedna and Kalertatang. Today, we'll be visiting the Hawaiian Islands for a lesson in their culture and in their legendary mythmaking. Now, to jump right on into the merriment, I'm going to share something with you that I had no idea about until this episode. I'm sensing a theme here. Hmm. Oh, actually, I'll give it to you in the form of a question. How many islands does the state of Hawaii consist of? If you already know, good for you. And that's amazing. And shush, let's stump all the others. If you want to Google it, to each their own. (coughs) Cheater! But if you're like the rest of us, you may be guessing a number anywhere from single to double to maybe even triple digits. And you know what? Depending on who's counting, you wouldn't be wrong. With the fourth largest coastline in the whole of the United States of America behind Alaska, Florida, in California, the state of Hawaii is made up of five counties, consisting of a usually most recognized eight main islands and an officially 137 recognized islands in total. Unofficially, the list that I drew from gave name to 152, and even that list admitted that there were others, such as the French Frigate Shoals, which were counted as one that were actually made up of 13 small islands all on its own. Now, as beautiful and amazing and fascinating as all this is, what I'd really like to look at is the Polynesian peoples that first inhabited the islands way back in... Crap. See, now this is heavily debated. I took a look at three different sources, and I got three different answers before I stopped and realized I'm just going to list all of them. Some current textbooks date the arrival around uh, 300 to 600 current era. Theories persist that it could have been slightly later, 700 to 900 current era, and a slew of carbon dating traces it from 1,000 to 1,200 current era, where a group of approximately 1 to 200 Polynesians migrated to and populated the islands. Nearly an entire millennium exists between the earliest and the latest dates in question, so I feel like on one hand... Science. 
probably want to go with the Carbon Dayton. But on the other hand, that's a big range. Best answer, we really don't know. The history of this ancient people is said to have been passed down generation to generation through chants that were recited at formal ceremonies and family events. High chiefs were believed to be the descendants of the gods, and by 1200, a Tahitian priest introduced a class structure to the islands. Their society was divvied up into the king, or high chief, at the top, then the king's council, then the nobles, then the high priest, then the commoners, and finally the servants. This system didn't just pop up overnight, though. It was developed over time, and at the end of the 1400s, when there were approximately now 150,000 people spread amongst all the islands, the legendary ruler, Leloa, brought it all together at the front of an unparalleled lineage of kings and nobility. These kings, or their ruling chief, or the high chief, was in charge of the behavior and lifestyle of all of their people. They had very strict rules in terms of social order as to where anyone could fish, all the way up to when someone could eat. Colonists, explorers, plunderers, and all-around dickheads. Sorry, I just, I do not have time for this anymore. Famously came in contact with the islands at the end of the 1700s. Captain James Cook encountered the island of Kauai when charting unknown territory, according to the Western world, where they traded water and food with the inhabitants of the island. Cook went off to do some more exploring and came back the following year to resupply on the islands. He left but had to come back because a ship's mast broke. And that's when the islanders flat out stole one of his longboats. Now, before you ask why or start up on the Hawaiians being at fault, know that Cook and the islanders were pretty sick of each other at that point. As to why, well, one story details that Cook wanted to buy some wood from the islanders. No biggie. The only problem is this wood was used to build sacred items and totems and was also their burial fence. When they, of course, were offended and refused, Cook just tried to steal it. That's the type of behavior that, well, most of the world was subject to with these explorers and why I call them dickheads. You know, because they were. Cook felt that it was completely appropriate to try and retaliate to the boat being stolen by kidnapping the king of Kalani Opu'u. The population didn't take too kindly to that. So, feeling threatened by a growing crowd, Cook whapped the king in the head with his sword. Don't worry, it was the broad side of the sword. The king of Hawaii promptly picked the captain up, threw him to the ground, and at the tail end of a scuffle, Cook found his ass on the wrong end of a knife. If you're a fan of colonists, and if so, who are you? Don't worry, because a little something like this wouldn't stop European powers from then descending on the island in mass, because it's gorgeous and they wanted it for their own. An influx of Europeans brought with it bubonic plague, yellow fever, leprosy, and the introduction to and weaponization of alcohol, which more than halved the population to just over 70,000 by the mid-1800s. The ruler that was in charge during all of this was none other than the founder and ruler of the unified stretch of islands, which came to be known as the Kingdom of Hawaii. Kamehameha I. And yes, you heard that correctly. Kamehameha. Sorry, sorry, I had to built a dynasty that lasted until Kamehameha V and kept his people together during an ever-changing economy and population as people would constantly abandon the islands for the mainland. Whaling and immigration spiked during these times, greatly diversifying the island's population. Immigration, primarily bringing in men to work the fields for sugar plantations, skyrocketed to the point that Kamehameha V had to establish a board of immigration. 
Chinese and Japanese men at one time accounted for 52% of the entire population. With this ever-shifting population, system, and the times, the class system that had reigned for hundreds of years was abolished after the death of Kamehameha I, which, on its face, probably a good thing. However, their religion and their gods were also very shortly abandoned, which is a much more complicated thing than just good or bad. As it is with other Polynesian cultures, and as we spoke to earlier, religion in Hawaii has a very distinct ritual and code of conduct. There is a plethora of myths, gods, heroes, legends, and most all delineate from the union of the Sky Father and the Earth Mother. From them, literally hundreds of gods and goddesses, spirits, and guardians are said to have sprung forth. Bridging the gap between our aforementioned culture and our just-mentioned religion, we have the concept of companionship that the ancient Hawaiians referred to as akane. There are a lot of articles and definitions out there that will talk about akane, and in many ways. But what I would like to do for this episode is go to our designated info dump of choice these past few episodes, Castle's Encyclopedia of Queer Myth, Symbol, and Spirit. Hawaiian term for beloved one. An intimate relationship embracing passionate friendship and same-sex eroticism. Parenthetical often in a bisexual or pansexual context. Akane appears to be related to I, sexual intercourse, as well as E, to eat. Revealing a spiritual component to this relationship, it is said, he or she who eats of your soul is your true friend. Of Akane, it is also said, an Akane is a nest of fragrance. I have to give it to the ancient Hawaiians. Those two are two of the dreamiest things I've ever read put to words. I would like to look at myself as a diehard romantic. I'm also, oh my, I'm a huge smell person. And I'm most definitely someone that uh, absolutely relishes in cuisine, both of the standard fare and of the soul caliber variety. So both of these statements basically reach into my heart and squeeze out all the feels. One can then surmise that if this is a spiritual concept to ancient Hawaiians, their gods and goddesses would probably relate, in some way at least, to the same type of concept. Well, moving forward to the first of our two main elements of today's episode, we have Kamapua'a, whose entry reads as follows. Hawaiian god of sexuality, agriculture, rain, divination, and battle. Kamapua'a is most commonly depicted as a hybrid human-male pig, although his most striking characteristic is his shape-shifting ability. As a deity of agriculture, he is the patron of sweet potato and taro farmers. Kamapua'a has both female and male lovers. His turbulent relationship with the volcano goddess Pele is balanced by his love for Nihooleke, a legendary fisherman, and Limaloa, a god of mirages and the sea. Kamapua'a is sometimes identified with Lono, a deity of weather, agriculture, eroticism, and war. Like the former, Lono also loves both males and females. Kamapua'a is also attracted to one of Pele's brothers, and Pele is not above ridiculing Kamapua'a's enjoyment of anal eroticism. His passion for this activity is so well known that his buttocks have been named Gaping Above. Once, when Pele and Kamapua'a were fighting, she sent two of her brothers to attack him. But Kamapua'a won the round when he determined to send one of his independent manifestations, the love god, Lona Loa, to seduce the brothers. So delighted were Pele's brothers with the love god that they abandoned Pele's orders. 
besides a monumental amount of information to talk about, this entry gives us four other entries that we're going to wander into now. And besides that, probably a monumental amount of apologies. There, there are a number of Hawaiian dictionaries online, and even with looking into specific pronunciations, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I'm destroying all of this. So moving forward, I'm going to ask, would it offend you terribly if I said, instead of the name of the love god, just L? Because I feel like me simply trying to pronounce that name again is offensive in and of itself. His definition is as follows. Hawaiian love god sent by the pig god Kamapua'a to seduce the volcano goddess Pele's brothers Hiakaluna and Hiakalalo so that they will forget her orders to attack Kamapua'a. Ah, the old Cupid trick. I see you, pig god. This entry also gives us two more gods who actually share an entry. During a battle with the Hawaiian pig god Kamapua'a, the volcano goddess Pele sent her brothers Hiakaluna and Hiakalalo to attack him. Kamapua'a, however, won the round by sending the love god El to seduce her brothers. Hiakalalo and his brother forgot their sister's orders as they made love to the handsome love god. We've all been there before, am I right or am I right? Besides, again, an incredible amount for us to talk about for days, you see here something that any researcher, I, I think, I believe, will stumble upon. Items being defined by other items. I want all of you out there mm, to, be, to be wary of this. When you find one thing pointing you to another thing, which points you right back to the thing that sent you there in the first place, examine their sources. Just saying. So, let us dive right back into the very thing that I told you all to regularly question. Lono, you up next, baby? Hawaiian god of creation, weather, especially of storms, agriculture, war, and eroticism. Lono shares an akane, or intimate same-sex relationship, with a mysterious figure named Kapa'ihi. Together, they search for the magical koa tree. When Kapa'ihi leaves Lono, he is brokenhearted, becomes ill, and according to some accounts, dies. Lono is sometimes identified with Kamapua'a. Oh, buddy. I'm not sure why, but uh, I, am, I am never able to read this entry without clutching at my heart and wincing. I think it's how it combines so many different genres. It's a quest, it's a mystery, and it's a romance, but, but ultimately uh, a coming-of-age drama? Because Kapa'ihi leaves. It's always the bad boy, you know? Oh, speaking of such, let's find out more about him at his entry. Mysterious male figure of Hawaiian myth, whose background is unknown. He appears suddenly besides the heroic deity Lono, who is set out on a long journey. When Lono asks him why he has appeared, Kapa'ihi replies, I love you, so I followed you. The two become fellow travelers, as well as Akane. Slumping in my chair, oh my god. Okay, 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 so I get that this would creep the hell out of a lot of folks. And you're right, you're right, you're right. Playing devil's advocate to myself, I can see how this is probably the worst nightmare of, uh, like, half the population. I, I see you, I hear you, I recognize that this is something that might not be what everyone agrees with, is a tale of intrigue and romance. It may surprise you a bit, then, when I say that it makes me melt like a damn snowflake on your tongue. This, ha, ah, 
this is the definition of of just like this mysterious love to me. And it it makes me question why 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 did he disappear? Was he no longer in love with him? Did did he not exist in the first place? Was he just a construct for finding yourself during the quest? The world may never know. Limaloa, let's keep this train going. Hawaiian deity of the sea and mirages. Bisexual in today's terms, Limaloa was husband to a chief's daughter and an intimate male companion of Kamapua'a. These have been great, and I love the complexity to death. But what have we been missing? I hope, I, I really do hope that everyone realizes way before me calling it out, but bisexual women. We've, uh, we've discussed plenty of bisexual men, but uh, Pele, our next entry, is our first woman. Before I discuss my thoughts on that, let's do what really matters and give light to her story. Goddess of volcanoes in traditional Hawaiian religion and myth, still revered by many in the 1990s, primarily as Madame Pele. Pele is a jealous goddess. When she became convinced that her sister, Hai Iaka, had commenced an erotic relationship with Pele's male lover, she punished Hai Iaka by killing the latter's Akane, Hapoi, by flowing over her with burning lava. Nevertheless, many lesbian and bisexual women are drawn to the fiery Amazonian Pele. I know what you're thinking. That is the antagonist from Moana, isn't it? Straight up, yo. No spoilers, but if you haven't seen it, one, gotta watch it, it's amazing. Two, watch it all the way through. Besides what can arguably be described as very little information that we're given about a major character, we're also given more terms that we're going to look up right quick. Hea'aka and then Hapoi. Hea'aka in Hawaiian myth and religion, a goddess of the hula and of magic. Hea'aka was devastated when her sister Pele killed Hia'aka's intimate female companion, Hopoi, after Pele became jealous of Hia'aka's relationship with Lohayu, Pele's male lover. Hopoe, in Hawaiian religion and myth, an intimate female companion, Akane, of the goddess Hia'aka. Hopoe and Hia'aka first met in the Puna district on the island of Hawaii. At this time, Hapoi danced the hula for Hayaaka, who had not seen it performed before. Hayaaka was so delighted by the dance that she planted red and white blossoming lehua trees on the island for her new companion. Since that time, the flowering lehua has become Hopoi's sacred attribute. When the volcano goddess Pele, Hayaaka's sister, became jealous of the friendship her sister had developed with Pele's male lover, Lahayo, Pele killed Hapoi by sending lava flowing over her. Hiaaka was devastated upon the loss of her beloved Hapoi. Some say that when Pele realized how mistaken and cruel she had been, she restored Hapoi to life. Others say that Hapoi transformed into a rock, which appears to be dancing, still visible in Puna. Such a meet-cute! Now this is what I mean by adding to the story. We get their origin, we get what reads to me as some writers trying to give a redemption arc to Pele, with her being backed into that dreaded Hera corner. Ugh. The vindictive woman trope is such a sparsely used narrative device, right? Let's check out the very interestingly detailed hula entry. Traditional Hawaiian dance rooted in pre-Christian religion and myth whose performers and teachers include women, homoerotically inclined males, 
and transgendered males called mahu. Among the famous Kane Hula, male hula performers, is the transgendered Lolana Kasparovich, a celebrated teacher of hula, especially to children, who call him their festive uncle. Still another is Auntie Moana. As a child, he, parenthetical she, was active in the Catholic Church. He, parenthetical she, studied hula with Auntie Harriet Nee. Auntie Moana is both respected as a performer, teacher, and as a spiritual guide. In The Ethnomusicologist as Midwife, 1993, Carol Robertson points out that the hula embraces the spiritual concept of aloha, which celebrates the acceptance of diversity. For this reason, the contributions of the mahu and the other homoerotically inclined men are considered by Native Hawaiians as sacred gifts. I know I call for it all the time, but indigenous Hawaiians, please, please get at me. This, it, though I feel in dated language, really, this encyclopedia sometimes, this is beautiful. And I've never heard it before. And I, I would love to know if this is, if this is legit, if this is an interpretation marred by one perspective or another, how deep this runs. I have, you know, my thoughts and my research, but I'm, I'm, I'm really curious. Someone uh, native to the island, someone uh, steeped in the lore. Um, I, would, I would love to hear from you. Now, surprisingly, there was actually only one other term um, in this definition, and that's mahu. Transgendered male spiritual functionaries of Hawaii associated primarily with healing and the hula. They were said to engage in homoerotic relationships. The term mahu is sometimes used today to refer to a gay Hawaiian man. They were said, what? What, what, what does that mean in an academic sense? I mean, like I was saying, this encyclopedia sometimes, I mean, ugh. So, there you have it. The Hawaiian bisexual pantheon of gods and goddesses, legends, and mortals as promised. I know, I know, last week I should have said the Hawaiian Akane Pantheon, but you wouldn't have had any idea of what I was talking about at the time. Now that we've explored all the connections, let us jump into one of the many tales of Kamapua'a and Pele. Right off the bat, during my research I found what I think was a secondary school essay slash pamphlet or slide deck of Hawaiian myths and deities, and it was pretty amazing. They were both celebrating and complaining about the Pantheon, which, yes, yes, we should do to all myths. Zeus gives us stories to talk about for days, but really, F that dumpster fire. They were talking about the sexism and toxicity of different moments between Kamapua'a and Pele. I don't disagree with it. Hell, I called it out earlier. I mean, the term Akane itself is defined as someone dining on the soul of another and then immediately gives us examples of, like, ten dudes. And there's, of course, nothing wrong with that, but uh, the, the world is populated by more than just men, you know? It's crazy. So no matter what's going on, when we approach intersectionality, we have to watch out for excluding any other group. This is a tale as seriously as old as time. So why would it not find its way into our fiction and into our religion, our, our culture, and our society? I'm not excusing our ancestors, nor am, nor am I here for any of it. I just want you to know that in moving forward, remember, 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 context. What was going on when things occurred? What was not going on? What stories were celebrated? 
what stories were suppressed. The truth behind our spirituality and our species is a lot more complicated than most people will ever realize. Do the time. Do the time. Dig into your research. Treat each other the way that you want to be treated in the present. And the future may not look like a volcano fire after all. <laughs> See what I did there? We're jumping right on into the tale, by the way, because I've yammered on way too long. Enjoy the ride. I'll see you on the other side. Once, very long ago, there was a young woman named Pele, and she had a temper. The legend says she was born in Tahiti. Others tend not to agree. One thing they do agree on, though, was that this girl was very strong of heart. Very beautiful and very fiery. It was no wonder that many eyes wandered her way. However, when her sister-in-law's gaze lingered too long, Pele made herself scarce. Well-versed in both the ways of men and of women, she had seen that look before. And she knew how that story ended. So her older brother gave her a large canoe, and she paddled away, eventually landing in Kauai. That night found her sleeping under the stars, happy for the life she saw in front of her. She never saw her sister coming, and was beaten nearly to death. Playing the part of a corpse, Pele waited for her sister to leave, and then Pele made her way throughout the island chains to recover, eventually landing in Maui where she began tearing into the earth, creating fire pits and volcanoes, ending in a giant crater where she lay in the middle in wait. Knowing now, she would be ready for whomever came looking for a fight. Meanwhile, on Oahu, the young maiden Hina was wed to the mighty chief Olopana. She performed all the duties that was expected of her, but Olopana knew she did not love him. He was already an old man, and she was just becoming a woman. The chief's younger brother also happened to be her best friend, which incensed the chief deeply. No one truly knows how it came about, but soon Hina was pregnant. Upon the birth of the child, a baby boy, the chief spat on the ground. I named this child Kamapua'a, hog child. Despite the chief's curse, that boy grew into an incredibly handsome man who was also very wise and the strongest in the land. Abnormally tall, with a fierce temper, he began to develop abilities never known to mankind. He was able to control the growth and yield of crops, and he was able to control the weather and the tides of the ocean. This, along with his rugged good looks, would see him involved with many young men and women, who all fell in love with his passion and his charm. One thing he kept hidden, though, was the ability to shapeshift into anything he laid eyes on. Why should he shift into anything else? He already had everything he needed as himself. Everything except for his father's love. In fact, his father's hatred only increased as the chief saw how incredible this boy had become. Kamapua'a never understood why the only person he wanted to love him would hate him so much. After a lifetime of such treatment, the young man's heart grew cold and distant, and he ran away from home, a hollow thing full of hatred. 
Determined to have his father acknowledge him one way or another, Kamapua'a brought together a group of outlaws that raised Olopana's lands far and wide. After each successful raid, the young man would get another tattoo, and before long, he was covered in ink. One day, the chief had had enough, and with his honor guard, met his son alongside of his gang in the middle of a burned-out village. The two sides battled long into the night, and when it was over, Kamapua'a stood victorious over the body of his father. Traveling to Maui, Kamapua'a found his mother, now married to her true love. Hungry for the affection of a real family, Kamapua'a warmly greeted the two. Only the chief's brother had no idea Kamapua'a even existed. With a quizzical smile on his face, the chief's brother asked, I'm sorry, do I know you? You might have me mistaken for someone else. I don't have a son. Whatever small amount of hope that was left in Kamapua'a was swallowed by bitterness and disdain. Void of compassion, he went on a murderous spree, killing and destroying everything in his path. Taking the shape of a giant, multi-eyed, multi-tusked, feral hog, Kamapua'a felt rejected by the world, and now that world was going to pay. Such wanton destruction attracted the attention of Pele's sister, who wrongly deduced the source, but would correctly stumble onto the fact that Pele was still alive. Making her way to Maui, Pele's sister was surprised to see the wretched hog-man god, and not her sister. But Pele knew none of this. She only knew that the person that had hurt her the most, the person that had caused her so much pain, had returned. Rising from her crater, Pele's sister barely had time to register the truth before Pele tackled her to the ground. Using every ounce of strength, Pele and her sister fiercely punched and kicked, clawed and bit, and literally tore chunks out of each other in a battle that shook the island itself. Kamapua'a stopped his own path of destruction and watched as the two truly powerful beings fought directly in front of him. Pele felt her energy begin to give, while her sister still had plenty in reserve. Knowing how the fight would end, Pele snarled and hurled one final insult at her sister before she was ripped to pieces. Cackling maniacally, Pele's sister celebrated with herself. She could not see the pieces of her desecrated sister coming back together as the wronged woman was reborn as the goddess of fire and flame. A volcano given sentience, Pele erupted molten lava from deep within the earth. Pele's sister disappeared, obliterated in the carnage, and Kamapua'a saw Pele as she truly was, and he instantly fell in love. Climbing to the highest point he could, he pleaded with her, Be my wife! The goddess looked down at the hog and shrieked, You are a pig, and I am a god. Unwilling to shut himself off to this kind of love, he dug in further. I love you for your anger. You will do the same with me. Bringing forth a rainfall unlike any seen before, Kamapua'a stood chest heaving. Pele snorted, If you drown my fire with water, you will not have me as woman. Kamapua'a spit back, If you scorch my water with fire, you will not know me as man. 
Kamapua'a slowly let his shape shift to that which he was born with, and Pele blinked away her surprise. Both gods stood as still as statues, not sure what to make of the other, and not committing to obliterating them either. After an eternity, Pele ceased her flame, as Kamapua'a did with his water. Embracing each other, they felt their anger vanish, and they came to each other as lovers. Confused by her ascension, as well as this newfound love, Pele was the first to break their embrace. She whispered, You should leave. I am a god now. We cannot be together. Go live in the valleys. Keep them lush with your rain, and I'll stay in my caverns and craters, balancing your rain with my fire. Tunneling deep into the earth before he could say anything more, Kamapua'a leapt to his feet, all at once, deeply in love and at peace, but abandoned and disregarded. He called out to his new love, but it was to no avail. Running and diving into the water to escape the torrential heat of Pele's new lair, Kamapua'a said his final goodbye. Turning into a blowfish, he fled to Kohala, his new kingdom. From their encounter, Pele was soon with child. Seeing the strength and love, the fire and the will in her child throughout the years made Pele miss Kamapua'a all the more. Guiding the plants, mastering the weather, and of course, protector of all the feral pigs in Kohala, Kamapua'a would not return to destruction and anger, true to his desire to temper that flame with the love of a person who he would never see again. And according to the ancient Hawaiians, that is just one of the many myths about their bisexual god of hogs and goddess of volcanoes. Now, I never said that it'd be a happy ending, did I? <laughs> In fact, if anything, I kind of primed your engines for some tragedy. Huh? Huh? Looking back makes sense now, right? Just like last week, in, uh, this, this week is actually even more so. Um, there was like a, an amalgamation of four or five myths this week. I mean, there are... There, are so, so many stories. And as you can see from their encyclopedia entries, I, I didn't exactly go with the most well-known tale-slash-stories. Additionally, I thought that it would be interesting using a story of Pele's that I found that was in direct contradiction to the encyclopedia in terms of her, her origin and uh, her her nemesis. So I, I definitely wanted to use that one. If, if you are familiar with any of these, if you are familiar with pieces, if you're familiar with uh, bits of the encyclopedia entries, if you don't like how I combined them, or if you have any additional thoughts on any of the information from today, you know what to do. Get at me. Literally, at me on any of... Wait, 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 that's the end bit. Okay, let me do the fact first. Now, back on track. For our fact, we're heading back to the kingdom of Hawaii. Well, I mean, 
we never really left Hawaii, but I, I mean, it, like before the mainland U.S. colonized and annexed the island for, you know what, I'm off topic, and it's sentence number two, Kingdom of Hawaii, early 1800s. That's where we're at for our fact. We're taking a look at Kaomi, the half-Hawaiian, half-Tahitian, complete Akane of King Hame... Sorry, sorry, I won't do that anymore. King Hamehameha III. Kaomi's father was native to Bora Bora, and his mother was native to Hawaii. And Kaomi was also a good friend of Kamehameha's the first wife. Such a tangled web. Kaomi was a very educated young man, but was also a trusted and skilled healer. The rumor, as the young man was coming into manhood, is that all Kaomi had to do was touch someone and he'd be able to diagnose a disease as well as the medicine that they needed to treat it. This incredible gift was developed by Boki, the governor to Oahu at the time, with Kaomi being what was the equivalent at the time to a kind, handsome, talented med school student, it was no wonder that he would soon gain the attention of the king. However, once Kaomi gained a trusted seat as advisor to Kamehameha, he would truly win him over by his spot-on medical assistance, as well as his ability to tell great stories and keep the king and the court highly entertained. Other chiefs, nobles, and decorated warriors thought highly of Kaomi and worked to develop a just name and title for the young man. Soon, he was referred to as the Joint King, which sounds to me like a huge step up. And he was eventually responsible for giving or denying anyone any item of physical importance. So, if someone in the court wanted some new shoes, gotta talk to Kaomi. If the hermit on the edge of town wanted more land, gotta talk to Kaomi. As Kaomi and Kamehameha felt themselves growing closer and closer, Kamehameha felt torn at his incredibly strict Christian upbringing and his desire to return to ancient Hawaiian traditions. Things such as hula had been turned into sins and vices and were thus outlawed. Under Kaomi's guidance and joint leadership, though, Kamehameha reinstated things such as prostitution and liquor, leading to an influx of citizens that wished to return to earlier cultural norms. In talking with BuzzFeed for an article on Hawaiian sexuality, the professor of Hawaiian literature at the University of Hawaii said, one of the ways Hawaiians created a very successful model was to recognize and culturally and socially legitimize natural human behavior. Imagine that. This period of Hawaiian history was referred to as the time of Kaomi. And if you think that's a compliment, you would actually be wrong. This is what the church tried to do in immediately vilifying and attaching him to a moment in time that they wanted people to turn away from. You know, because people were living the way they wanted to, loving who they wanted to love, and trying to live as free as possible. As is usual, and you'll see in nearly every episode of this podcast, the church had to try and squash that shit real quick. Kaomi, just like Kamehameha, was very involved in the church as a youth, and even became a priest as he got older. However... He left the ministry when he came together with Kamehameha. Unfortunately, as said best by Persephone, such a thing is not meant to last. Under intense pressure by other chiefs who were devout Christians and seemed to not really have a problem with Kaomi before he was with Kamehameha, 
All of Kamehameha's policies and behaviors during this time were blamed squarely on Kaomi. A secret plan was concocted between two chiefs to remove Kaomi from the equation by the super stealthy way of simply killing him. One chief attempted to make a servant club Kaomi to death, and when the servant refused, it bought just enough time for the king to enter the chambers and see what had been going on. Fighting the rogue chief off, Kamehameha saved Kaomi and spirited him away to hopefully heal his wounds. Unfortunately, Kaomi ended up passing away. Additionally, with Kaomi no longer by his side, the king turned back to the church. I believe all of the policies that were enacted were then reversed, technically again. The chiefs who then engaged in the totally not sinful act of attempted murder used this situation to hurl accusations towards Kamehameha that he was not worthy of his role. Their explanation? He had given way to irresponsible self-indulgence, giving us just another example of politicians acting in a completely cartoonishly evil way. And that's the show, folks. Happy endings all around today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for checking out our podcast as we took a look at Hawaiian culture and the complicated love story between Pele and Kamapua'a. Come with us again next episode as we move over to Asia and tackle the country of India for an intersex supreme deity that just looks absolutely smashing in blue. As always, I'd like to send each and every thank you express mail to all good folks care of their lovely track, Mr. Mischief. If we could send an overnight package full of all the thank yous to Jacqueline for her podcast cover artwork, that'd be great. And Arthur, we're going to fax you on over nothing short of reams full of thank you after thank you for your podcast logo. If you, our audience, and the ones that have to put up with my silly themes, terrible puns, and annoying ass have any questions or comments about anything and everything, page them our way. Or if you don't even know what that is, you can always email us at info at coloredfolklore.com. If you're not interested in any or all of that and would rather just check the socials, we have a Facebook, a Twitter, an Instagram, and more. Super behind, but getting close to having a plan to catch up. Really, I swear, honestly, we really do. All of them with the same handle, Colored Folklore, all one word. And the best way to check us out on the internet to date and by far is our lovely little website, www.coloredfolklore.com. Peep out our allies page for friends to the show, ear to the butt on our episodes page for all the episodes of the show, and fingers flipping through the wallet on our donate page to show us the money. No, 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 really, we good, we good. We much rather your support. If you have a friend that you think would like to show, or maybe someone that had a burning question about indigenous folklore, or, or a family member that enjoyed snarky commentary on the world's cultures, that's like, that's our bag. Send them our way, and maybe leave us a rating or review while you're listening on your podcast platform of choice. Shout out, major shout out to Kaffer McGee. Thank you for your incredible Facebook compliment. We are glad that you like the show and that it takes you back in time. We absolutely aim to please and we pleased it. I should have thought of that one ahead of time. It absolutely did not work at all. Damn it. Wait, 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 wait. I got one. Wait.